sermons on where is my honor. And I get to thinking, you know, am I giving God honor in my life? Do I honor God? And how well do I honor God? Or what do I do in my life that might be distracting from that honor to God? He's now on part 38. This is one of the longest, I think, uh, series he's done. It's, it's right now 10 longer than the Minor Prophets. And I think he's going to continue doing more. So, you have to ask yourself, am I listening to these things and am I analyzing them in my life that the way I live my life is bringing honor to God? So ask yourself, what does God want from you? What is God expecting from you? We have these series. We've had series on clean and unclean, holy and unholy, honoring God, uh, the minor prophets, uh, who go back to our fathers. There's a lot of things. So what is it that God is actually asking us to do? What is he looking for in our lives? And asking yourself, am I honoring God by the way I live my life? On a daily basis. Not just on the Sabbath. Sometimes you might think, well, this is more like uh, like they did in the... Protestant religions, they have one day a week with God. That's not what God wants. God expects from us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days in a year right now. And then when it goes to 360 days, he expects that out of you then, too. So, your daily life, what are you doing? Does it bring honor to God. When you talk to each other, I know one come up, one question came up one time after the services are over and we're sitting down for potluck. Do we honor God by talking about our daily life, what we did last week, our job or what we're going to do? Or do we honor God by putting him first in our mind and our talk whether we eat, sleep, or whatever it is. Do we communicate God's way? How close to God do we get? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I print out most of them. This one I didn't print out because I was praying about this this morning and it's just one of those things when you pray about a sermon or a sermon, at least for me, and you have things down, I've got a guideline what I'm going to do, what I want to say. But when I pray about it, things come into my mind that, you know, you need to bring this out. This is a better point. This is something that I want brought out. So, chapter 1, verse 13, where God is speaking through Paul. He says, but unto which of the angels said he at any time, 
Sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. When did God say that to an angel? Do we know? Have we ever heard of that? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? That's their job. They're to come and minister to the ones whom God has selected. And if we are looking for a way to honor God, and He has selected you, you would not be here if God hadn't selected you. He hadn't reached down. You know, He did a calling work through Mr. Armstrong. Called enough people that would fulfill what He had in mind to do. Now He's selecting those people. You're part of that selection. That's why I have to ask you, what does God want from you? Because He put you here. You have to ask, what do you want from me, Father? Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. We've been there, haven't we? Most of us that are older, been in the church for many years, have we not seen people let the Word of God slip? How many times has we, have we heard from Daryl say, don't let the Word of God fall to the ground? Not one word. But we've been there. Most of us have been at that point in time, haven't we? Seen people, let it slip, and what happens? Where are they today? They certainly are not in the church of God. In whatever group, you know, we're not the only group. We're just one little cog in that wheel that God is building. God has selected you and put you here for a purpose. Verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedient received a just compensation of reward, what would happen? They don't have the mercy God has. They're not as merciful as God. If we slip, if we fall short, what's going to happen? You know, they have been there, done that. They were around. Those that are ministering angels that God has sent were there when one-third of the angels walked away. They let the Word of God slip. So, these angels that are ministering servants, what are they going to reward you with? It won't be fun. But God doesn't allow that. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? You see, we've been given a tremendous opportunity. We have all the Word of God. There's proof that shows that this is all of the Word of God. There are those that have done the studying and have research in it and can show that we don't have books missing. This is it. This is God's Word. 
God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. For unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come. Important part here is the world to come. That's the important phrase here. He hasn't put the world to come in the subjection of angels. He's put it under those that are willing to give him honor with their life on a daily basis and to make the change required. Wherefore we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the Son of Men, that you visit him. God is mindful of you. He knows your thoughts. He knows who you are. We can't back that, you know, put that down. Turn back here to Isaiah, uh, to Psalms, the Book of Psalms, chapter eight. The Book of Psalms, chapter eight. We'll see the same thing, only expanded a little bit. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Who has set your glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings have you ordained strength because of your enemies, that you might steal the enemies and the avenger. The avenger being Satan, who doesn't like God's plan. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visited him? See, God's saying, I created all of this. I've got this kind of power. I did all of this. And then he asked a question. We're human. We're temporary. We're only here for a short period of time. You have made him a little lower than the angels. So we don't have the power angels have. We can't even see the Father right now because of our corrupt being. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yes, and the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the path of the sea. O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Considering what God has given under our abilities. Consider what God thinks. And putting all that in perspective that God made you and given, has given you the ability to control animals, control everything around us, we have to ask another question. And this is the basics of the sermon now. Who, then, is in control of your mind? Who controls your thoughts? 
Do you do it? Or maybe Satan, the devil. Maybe he's controlling your thoughts. Or is it God? Now, I don't know whether I'll get all of this in today. I only have 11 pages. Because there's so much here. And most of the time, you know, if I don't get all the way through it, it might be a good Bible study for you to think about. Who controls my mind? Who controls your mind? By saying that, and maybe even looking in the mirror and saying to that person looking back at you, who's in control of your mind? Sometimes we walk around and say, it's just too much for me. I can't grasp anymore. I'm all burned out. I mean, my mind is overloaded. I can't put any more into it. That's not true. Oh, yes, we can become lazy and say, yeah, I'm burned out. I've got so much. A young man went to a professor and told the professor, gave him a big assignment. He said, hey, man, I can't put any more in there. It's, I mean, I'm overloaded. And the professor said, no, you're not. Do you know how big the capacity of your brain is? Not your mind. I'm talking about your brain. You know how big it is? You know how much it can put into it? It was interesting to me to read these things. Have you ever heard of a petrobite? You know, looking at uh, digital work like in a computer. So, a petrobite. A petrobite is a million gigabytes. (laughs) And they think, they can't prove one way or the other, that you have 5 point, or 2.5 petrobytes abilities. Which is to say, if you could do it, and could sit down in front of a TV and turn it on 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, you could take all that information and store it in your brain, but it would take 3 Hundred years to do that. So, how big is your brain? What is the storage capacity of it? It's phenomenal. There's no, we can't even grasp the size of our brain. But it's large. It's huge. It has a lot of capabilities. The people, or some of the monks over in Tibet or Turan, are able and have learned how to use their brain and their mind combination, because there's two different things we're talking about here. The brain, which works all the time. I move my hands, which is an automatic thing. I breathe, not because I think about it, because the brain has been programmed to do that. My heart pumps, because my brain has been programmed to do that. There is a little spot in the center of your brain, if you penetrate it, then you lose capability of, a mo- of an arm or leg or body or whatever. You see, it's, your brain is controlling those things, but not your mind. So the question back was, who's in control of your mind, not your brain? Because your brain does a lot of things on a daily basis without you thinking about it. You sleep, you wake up. 
and it's all automatic. It's like having a computer. You can have a, I was going to bring them over, didn't I? Two different sizes of uh, calculators. One does a few things, but it can't do a lot of other things. A bigger one does more, but it's programmed into it. They can only do that much. There was a movie, Rain Man. Remember that? Some of you have seen it. The waitress dropped a box of toothpicks. And she says, oh, that's, there's 250 there. He said, no, there's 230 or 225, whatever it was. His brain grasped things that normally we just don't do it. Maybe because it's our background, maybe it's because our diet, maybe because we're just plain lazy. <laughs> or we just don't know how to access those things. He was able to go into Vegas and count cards of 16 decks at a time. He could count them. He knew them all. Just and I've seen a man who was uh, able to take a book thicker than this. He could read that book just like this. As fast as he could turn the pages. And you know something? You could ask him any question on any page and he could give you the answer. I can't do that. I have a hard time just reading, period. But his brain has that capability. I know a, a, a man has that part, one of the relatives of our, our elder here, who has a, almost a photographic memory, too. He can tell you things he's seen. And I, I'm amazed at that thing because I struggle sometimes to remember who my kids are. I used to go down the line. One of them come up, I had to start going down the line until I got the right one. But here's a person that can memorize or has memorized. I knew a fellow in Houston. He could quote scriptures left and right. He didn't understand them, but he could quote them. I struggle at it. I have to go over and over and over and over. And you could ask me those things today, and I probably wouldn't remember it. Because you don't exercise your brain that much. And I say the brain as opposed to the mind because animals have brains too. And their brains can learn. I used to put up bear fences. Put a hot wire and a ground wire six inches down. Hot wire, ground wire. That bear wanted those bees. He stuck his nose between the hot and the ground and jumped back. He learned because I had a charger that would go clunk, 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 clunk. He, all he had to do from then on was walk up there and he heard the clunk, 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 clunk. He programmed or it, he learned that the clunk, clunk meant hurt and he'd leave it alone. Another fellow I knew trained horses that way. He hung some carrots on a wire. Horse ate the carrots. He hung some more carrots on there. Horse ate the carrots. Third time he hung it on there, he, laid, he electrified it. The horse got a hold of that. From then on, he didn't have to have power on that, line, on that fence. He just had a flag here and there, and the horse would stay away. They learn. So the brain can learn. It's, let me read you a few things. I'm not going to read much from The Incredible Human Potential by Herbert Armstrong. The first passage is in 68. 
from the human, uh, the incredible human potential. Verse, uh, page 68. What a marvelous plan God conceived. He would have man of physical matter so that if total failure, he would be as though he had never been. So that's why we're here. Physically, God's already experienced spirit beings going contrary to him. And so he made us physical. So that if we make up our mind to do it contrary to God, we will not exist. He'll forget you. You'll be forgotten. So God made man of physical substance, formed in the shape of God, so that man could be converted, changed from matter to spirit, composition at the resurrection, a spirit compound member of the God family. So you're made physical. Becomes a training ground, isn't it? Mr. Waterhouse used to say that all the time. We're here in training. And when the time comes to go to a place of safety, it'll be final training. So we're here in a training ground. We're here to learn how to honor God in everything we do. Later on in the same page, but man to be reproduced into the God family was designed to have a godly type mind. Oh, now we're talking about a mind, not just a brain, but a mind. Able to think, reason, make choices and decisions to develop God-like character. Actually, the brain of an elephant, a whale, or a dolphin is virtually equal in complexity and design and quality of large in size than man's brain. The chimpanzee is also virtually equal, but slightly smaller in size. Why then, Mr. Armstrong said, is the human mind so transcendent, superior to the animal brain? Let's go on to page 71. Animals are equipped with a brain. An instinct. And without the mind of man, the brain has the same capabilities. It has instincts. It has and can do those things. But they have, they do not have power to understand, choose moral or spiritual values, or to develop perfect spiritual character. Animals have brains, but no intelligence. Instinct, but no ability to develop holy, godly character. You do. You can develop holy, godly character. When I was doing this research, I read a place where a guy started talking about the chimps. He said, now you look out there. They have a large variety of, uh, a large capacity of communication. They speak four or five languages. Uh, they build houses, they build cars. You can see that, can't you? Don't you see all these chimps building all these things? It was kind of a spoof against evolution, wasn't it? Because they can't do these things. They can't develop them. 
go on to page 73, to make it possible to bridge the gap between brain and spirit being, or God being, or to make the transition of mankind composition wholly of matter into spirit being in the God kingdom, then to be composed wholly of spirit, and at the same time to give man a mind like God, God put a spirit in him. God, of all of his creation, animals, bugs, fish, whatever is out there, plants, only man has a spirit in him. Notice in Job 32, verse 8. Job 32, 8. There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. That spirit of God in you makes your mind. And so we come down to the question again. Who's in control of your mind? Who do you let take care of your mind? Do we let men? And sometimes we do, don't we? We we'll quite often allow somebody to lead us the wrong path. Maybe they're able to because they have that ability to speak and control and we let them lead us in the wrong direction. Because we know, as Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart, speaking of the mind or the ability to love God or communicate from flesh to God, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. God knew that. He wanted us to recognize the fact that the human being can and does the wrong things. Romans 8, verse 7. Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Oh, the carnal mind is hostile. It doesn't want to follow God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The human, even with his spirit in him is not subject to God. We can see that every place you go. It just shows up. They change the Sabbath to Sunday because they do not want to obey God. What did God say to Samuel? They said, we want a, we want a king, Samuel. Make us a king. And Samuel felt bad because he thought he was doing a good job. And God said, don't worry about it, Samuel. They don't hate you. The carnal mind does not want me to rule over them. So they don't want God to rule over them. Matthew 15. One more there. Matthew 15, verse 19. For out of the heart of men proceeds evil thoughts. Evil comes out of us without the combination of God's Spirit. Our thoughts are evil. 
murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemy. These are the things which defile a man. That's what defiles us, our human mind going contrary to the Father. So, I ask another question. Are you ready or are you really thinking about what you are doing? Do you really sit here or at home daily, no matter what the activity is, do you think about what you're doing? Or do you just do it? Hey, some people are that way. They have mindless jobs. They can put something together like this, just like a machine. Don't change. Don't think about it. They go home, watch TV, go to bed, get up, eat, go to work, eat, go to work, come home, watch TV. Don't think about it. They don't think of what they're doing. They don't take the time and incorporate in their minds what they are doing. We sometimes think hard and sometimes we hardly think. And most of the time it's we hardly think. <laughs> it's easy to hardly think, isn't it? Because that's just a natural thing. Just, why do anything? But to put your mind to it takes some effort. And to like those monks who figured out how to slow their heartbeat down. Like the man who reads a page by flipping it. Well, he has a gift, maybe. Now, there are gifts. We understand that. God gives gifts. Uh, Hebrews twelve six, gifts given according to the grace of God. So you have gifts. And they're given to different people. Because it's the grace of God. Because God sees that. Romans 12, 6. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Different gifts and different people have different abilities. But they're all from the same Spirit, you see. It's that same Spirit that incorporates in your mind with your Spirit that gives you those gifts. 1 Timothy 4, 14. Paul told Timothy, don't neglect the gift that God gives to you. And he's telling us the same thing. He's given us a gift. We can understand. We've learned in this congregation many new things. Don't neglect that. Don't let it just slide by. That's why we're told, study, study, study. Meditate. You know, I go outside in the evenings and look up at the stars and wonder how massive is it, how great and how magnificent my Creator is to put those lights up there in the sky that I can enjoy. To see the rain come. How does it get there? What creates a cloud? Why does this cloud drop rain and another one doesn't? To, to look at my God and say... Wow, how magnificent he is. If I could only have that ability. But you know one thing we learn? Satan didn't learn it. We will never be as smart, as loving, 
as creative as our father. See, Satan thought, I can be him. I can be better than God. You can't. He's going to make you God and part of the God family. and You'll have a lot of capabilities, but you will never be greater than your father. It's like a family. All through the, the Bible talks about family life. Husband and wife and children. The children are never better than their father. They sometimes think they are. You know, boys and girls think, Oh, I can do more than dad can. Maybe not. Maybe you get a chance to learn a few things, but you will never be better than your father. Thinking is meditating. Thinking is hearing God's Word, whether it be Psalms 8 or Hebrews 2 or Jeremiah 17, 9. Thinking that, you know, it's possible... That I'm not as I'm not as smart as I think I am. I've got a lot to learn yet. First Corinthians, or some sorry, Second Corinthians ten. Second Corinthians ten. Your mind <clears throat> can control a lot of things. Are you controlling your mind? Some other person, another man, woman, being. Controlling your mind? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not human. That's not our weapons, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds. It takes God's Spirit and the only way you keep God's Spirit is you keep going to Him. Remember what Solomon said? He was made king. Solomon said, I want riches and power and might. No, he didn't, did he? That's not what he asked for. He asked for the ability to understand, to help God's people, and to have the love of God. Yes, God gave him everything else. But he asked for wisdom and understanding and love. He understood he had a great responsibility. Are we not to be kings and priests? Are we consistently asking God for wisdom and understanding? If we are going to control our own minds, we need the mind of Christ and the Father in us. Verse 5, casting down imaginations. We imaginate big things, great power, much money, you know. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Is that what we do? That's men controlling men. Ourselves controlling ourselves because... We want to be the big guy. I want to be in charge. I want to speak. I want to be the head of a big, vast group of people. When you're not even given that opportunity or that responsibility. And people have taken that on themselves. 
Paul said not to be many preachers, speakers, because God puts the speaker in greater responsibility for what you say. And if you're saying the wrong things and you're acting wrong, God holds you accountable for it. So he says, don't be many speakers. Don't be many pastors or elders or deacons or whatever it is, be in charge of all these things. Because he holds you in a greater responsibility. So, and goes on to say here in verse 5, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, of our Savior. Look at your life. Think. And it takes work. Doesn't it? It takes work to sit down and stop and think, uh, that might be the wrong thing to say. That might be the wrong thing to do. That might be the wrong place to go. I mean, I have to think about that. Well, it's a whole lot easier just to do the mundane things. Get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed. Isn't it? It's harder to sit down and say, uh, uh, I have to do a little bit more than that. I have to find out what God wants from me. I've got to take the Scriptures and find out what does God expect from me. And that becomes work. Because now we have to start looking into our personal life and see where we stand. Matthew 24, verse 4. Jesus, talking to the people, said, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Speaking to the people, talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, he said, Watch out. Be careful. People have the ability to sound like they are really knowledgeable. They have all the answers. And they can keep pounding on you and pounding on you, and eventually you give up. So he said, be careful. Take great heed. If it's not in this book, then it's not right. It's not in God's Word. But even then, you have to be careful because people can put scriptures together wrong. We know God said, line upon line, word upon word, here little and there little. So he said, you have to be able to move these things around. You have to find the thread. You have to follow it all the way through. But be careful. Because as Christ, I think it was through Peter, said that there are many false prophets right now. There are many false teachers out there. So we're told to control every thought, take it into captivity, to search it out, take care, because there are people that will deceive you if they possibly can. Luke 8, verse 18. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. So now we're required, a part of the brain, you know, which is automatic, that's hearing, you hear noise. But now he says, with your mind, govern what you're hearing. Take heed how you hear. For whosoever 
hates, to him shall be given. Who, I'm sorry, he, whosoever has, to him it will be given. So, you know, here God's giving us a lot of things. He keeps giving us more. And to whosoever has not, from him shall be taken even that which he seems to have. So if we allow God's word to slip, he's telling us here that you're going to start losing it and losing it and losing it. So he says, take heed how you hear it. Because you can lose what God's already given to you. And that's something you do not want to do. You do not want to lose the words that God has given to you. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Many people walked away from God's way of life because they did not believe God. Take heed, a warning, a stern warning, lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You can be deceived. Men can deceive you. They can pull you away. They can cause you to fall in the wrong direction. If you're willing to let them do that. So he gives us a stern warning. Don't depart from the Word of God. John 17, 17 says, Everything here is God's Word. Is God breathed. Psalms tells us it's been purified seven times. James, or I think it is, tells us that the things that are written in here were written by holy men as they were moved by God. So this is God's Word. And John 17, 17 says, this is truth. So you have to be careful with what you hear and what you see. God, talking through Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, speaking about Israel when they came out of Egypt. Now, all these things, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for an example, and they are written from the, found, from the admiration upon the, whom the ends of the world are come. They're written for us. Everything that these people went through are an example that if we would do it God's way, we'd be blessed. If we don't, hey, you have to face the consequences. Because it's God's word. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Sometimes we think we've got it made. Oh, I'm sitting here. I keep the Sabbath. I listen to sermons once in a while. I pray almost every day. I study when I can. 
I might even meditate sometimes. No, he said, take heed. Because if you think you have it made, be careful. What does it say back here in Revelation? Chapter 3. Verse 14, unto the angel of the church in Laodicea write these things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I would that you would be cold or hot. That's a lukewarm person. That's a person who thinks, I have it made. So then, because... You are lukewarm and could not, and neither hot nor cold. I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich. I got it made. And increase with goods. And have neither, and have need of nothing. That's a person who thinks he stands. I'm in church. I listen to sermons. I attend church once a week. I study once in a while. I've got it made. And know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. God knows who you are. He knows who you are, what you do. Sometimes we want to display our attitude and character to the pastor or to an elder or to a deacon or to a brother or sister on the outside. You know, I'm doing these things. I pray all the time. I study all the time. But in reality, you're falling short someplace. Because God says, I know who you are. Remember Jeremiah 17:10? God says, I try the reins of the heart. I know what's in your mind. I know who you are. You're not uh, fooling me. You're only fooling yourself. Therefore, he that thinks he stand, take heed, lest he falls. Says that to the church of Laodicea. And says it throughout the whole thing. Says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To all the churches. Every point. So go through those churches. Do I fit here? You know, this is a study to do. You know, you want something to think about? How do I fit Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos? Thyatira, Philadelphia, or maybe I'm more like Laodicean. Maybe I'm just taking it easy and I'm kind of coast along because I don't want to think thinking's too hard. It's too much work. It's too hard to make the change. So, the first challenge was Do you allow men or yourself, human beings, to control your mind? That's the first thing to think about. Are you allowing them to control your thoughts? The second one, then, is how about Satan? Does he control your thoughts? Do you ever come to the point, since you've been baptized, you know, and I'm in the church, and I, I know God to think that 
you could not be influenced by Satan? That's a bad place to find yourself. To, to think that I am above an attack by Satan. Remember Job? God knew Job's mind. Of course, you know, it was a, an interesting thing. God knew Job had something to learn. He was doing everything right, he thought. And what did God do? Hey, Satan. Hey, Hillel, what do you think of Job over there? Maybe you put your name there. What does God tell Satan about you? What do you think of Nelson? And Satan says, well, you, you know, about Job, he said, well, you protected him. You've given him all this protection, all his life. And God said, okay. He didn't tell Satan that there's something Job needed to learn. He just told Satan, okay, go ahead. But one thing, you can't hurt him. You can't kill him. You can't hurt him personally. So he went out and destroyed everything Job had, brought him down to nothing. Satan attacked him. He was a man that was serving God in his mind and doing things right. God tells you that. He was a, a good person, a righteous man. So another time coming, what do you think of Job now? You know, you wasn't able to get him, were you? Ah, oh, but if you just, Satan said, if you just let me touch him, if you let me harm his flesh, you know, when it's the flesh and the body and pain involved, he will fall. He will go against you. But God knew Job a whole lot better than Satan did. Does God know you a whole lot better than Satan knows you? Are you so committed to doing it God's way that if Satan was given the opportunity to try to sway you the wrong way, would you fall? Job didn't. We know that. We know Job finally, after how many weeks did he go through with boils all over his body and losing everything he had except his wife, who was probably telling him to curse God and die? You know, you're suffering. How about it? What would it take for you to curse God and die? Some of us probably wouldn't take a whole lot, would it? God promised to protect us, provide for us, heal us. Is the county coming after us in this little group of people? Is that enough to cause us to reject God and everything he's doing for us? Or do we say, hey, you know, what comes? Say you were told to lose everything you invested here. Would that be enough to cause you to walk away? Or would you say, it's God's will. He's going to provide for me, no matter where I go or what I do. He's going to provide for me. What would it take 
for Satan to be able to sway you in the wrong direction. Go back over here to Mr. Armstrong, what he had to say in The Human Potential, page 49. What caused the angels to sin? What caused the angels on the earth to sin? To turn to lawlessness? Certainly, the ordinary angels did not persuade this great super being to turn traitor? No, it was in him that iniquity was found. It was in himself. It was him that turned. Satan went the wrong way. Satan hates God's plan. And Satan doesn't want you to be a part of the family of God. And he will do every possible thing to have you walk away. He doesn't worry about the rest of the world. They don't know God anyway. They're all going the wrong direction. No, it was in him that iniquity was found. But after how long? What time period did it take? It didn't take a day. It took a period of time for Halel to work with, work with, to convince other people to go contrary to God. It might not take you a million years. It might only take a week or a month or a year. But Satan knows you too. But if your weaknesses are strong in Christ... He's not going to get to you. Whether it be life or death or loss of property or whatever, the closer you are to Christ, the closer you are to Emmanuel, the stronger you will be. What happened in Matthew 4? Hillel saw Christ in a very weakened state. Forty days. I have a hard time going two days fasting. Forty days without food and water. He was weak. He was at the verge of death. What was the first thing Satan said to him? I know you're hungry. You're about to die. Come on. Change these rocks into food. Because you know you have to eat. What did our Savior do? He was in a weakened state. But he was so close to the Father through fasting and prayer and contact with his Father that he said, you don't live by food only. That's only a temporary thing. Spirit life is permanent. You don't need to live by food only, but by every word of God. Satan tried again. He said, took him up to a high place and cast yourself down. Cast yourself down because you know the Scriptures say that the Son of God would not be able to fall down and get break a bone so the angels would be there to catch you. And he said, 
That ain't the answer either. The answer is to not tempt God. So in our daily life, do we find some way to tempt God? Do we find someplace, somehow, somewhere, that we tempt God? In a thought? In an action? The way we walk our life. Do we find some way to try to fringe around what God wants you to do? Where he said, capture every thought. So we try to fringe around that. No. No, we tempt God when we do that. Because he's promised to protect us. And Christ said, don't tempt the Father. So he tried one more time. You know, look at all the governments of this world. Look at all the power and all the people. I will give you the control of everything. You will be number one on the planet. And he, Christ, you know, that for us. What would you do? Somebody come up and say, tell you what, next week you're going to be the pastor of this whole congregation. Would you say, ah, man, that's what I wanted anyway. Would you accept it? Would you be willing to say, okay, hey, man, just think of all that money that comes in. Oh, we got, we got all these tithe payers. <laughs> I'm sorry, our, our little group doesn't have a lot of tithes. So, but maybe it's a big group of people. Where are they getting a million dollars a week in? Which is, hey, man, I could be governor of a million dollars a week. Would you switch horses? Would you give up eternity for that? What did Christ do? He gave us the example, remember. It was his example. Get out of here, Satan. You will love the Lord God and him only. Only God. You don't put somebody else. How many idols do we have? What's most important in your life? What do you spend the most time in? job, play. What is it? What is it that's more important to you? That's why we have to analyze these things. We have to see what's the most important thing in your life. And you have to say, Satan, get out of here. You only love God. He's the only God that you bow down to. Not some statue or job or whatever it is. Food, uh, clothing, cars, airplanes, boats. You know, all kinds of things we have for our gods. Because we spend so much time in them. Peter, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Peter was inspired to write. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. You think that Peter wrote that? Just because, hey, it's a whim. No. No, he was inspired to write that because he knew Satan wanted to destroy any one of us that he could. 
And he's looking for you. He wants to get to you. Whom resist, Peter said, steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. So stay strong. Oh yeah, you might be getting pressure from one way or another, and Christ says through Peter, don't think it's strange. This happened to all of us. If you're weak, he's going to find that weakness. And that's where Satan will attack you. He won't attack you if you're strong, if you're powerful in some scriptures, but if you're weak in some places, you better believe he's going to be right there, wants to get you, and if that's the way he can get to you, he'll be there. Why attack somebody's on their weak on their strong side when you can get to them on the weak side? James four, verse seven. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Inspired to write that we should resist everything that God that Satan throws at us. Resist that. And when you resist it, Satan's going to leave. He can't get to you. He'll find someplace else maybe, but right then, he will not come after you. Draw nigh to God, verse 8, and he will draw nigh or he'll come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded people are not stable in any way. See, you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in God's way of life. It doesn't work. You either have to be with God or you have to be with Satan. You have to be with God or love this world and just go out there and do worldly things. But you have to understand there's a result. For every action, there's a reaction. The reaction to honoring God and going His way is eternal life. To go in the other way is eternal death. So, you know, you've got a choice. I had a man tell me one time, we don't have any choices. Baloney. God gives you a choice every day. Didn't Adam and Eve have a choice? God says, if you eat and do the things my way, I don't know whether it was uh, Gerald Waterhouse, somebody down the line pointed out that they would have probably lived 7,000 years. But God said, in the day that you sin or go contrary or make the choice to go contrary to me, dying, you will die. And they did not live a 1,000 years, did they? 900 years? They could have lived a long time. But they made the wrong choice. They listened to Satan. He was right there. We don't know what it was the next day or next week or they were there with God a month. They were communicating with God all the time. They knew where God would be, where Christ would come and talk to them. But they were willing to listen to Satan. Are you willing to listen to Satan? Do you think that you are strong enough that Satan will not try to get to you? A lot of times we come at the point, huh? Well, I'm strong. No. If Satan can get to you, he will do it. He's looking at every chance. You have to say, you only worship God. 
Get out of here, Satan. Get away from me. Whatever temptation comes along, honoring God is what you want to do. So Satan and man have the ultimate chance to control your mind. Do we let them do that? Do we let Satan rule our lives? Do we let men rule our lives? Who is in control of your mind? Who leads you daily? Man, Satan, or God? There are many scriptures that show that we should turn our lives to God. What God wants from us. What God expects from us. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was in Emmanuel the Christ, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This is the mind that God wants to be in you. But made himself of no reputation. He don't want you to be the big shot. No more than Christ did. And took upon him the form of a servant. We learn many places that Christ said, you be servants. And was made in a likeness of men. Here was God, the one I can walk out in nighttime and look up at the sky and see the stars and the Milky Way and all these different things. Who created that? John 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And everything that we see, feel, touch, smell, taste, was created by Him. And here it is, being found in the fashion of a man, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Are we that obedient? Are we ready to sacrifice our life as Christ did? Are we willing to let God control our mind? Or do we want to do it? Or let Satan do it? Who, then, is in control of your mind? Take the time. Go over those scriptures. Look at that. Realize that you have a brain that is so powerful that man can't even comprehend the vastness and the capability that's in your brain. But when you put the spirit of man in it, and then you couple that spirit with the spirit of God, there is unlimited power. We have an opportunity. The potential for each one of us is to be God. A part of the family of God, a part of the first of the family of God. Christ, the first fruit, we who will be resurrected at the end, the first of first fruits, the better crop, the better food. Do you want to be that way? Who, then, thinking of that, is in control of your mind?